Hear these words from Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Well, thank you to Chancel Choir and Youth Choir, both for beautiful music and the Katie and Bonnie and Don, I'm so grateful. Friends, this is a story that Connor just read about being prepared. Um, somebody at the 830 service said to me, is it on purpose you don't have a sermon title on a sermon about being prepared? Um, I said, of course. <laughs> it is on purpose. But today it's about being prepared, and as I will likely not be present for some of our Advent season a season all about preparation, I want to share a little bit about what preparation has recently looked like in, in, in our house. Um, <laughs> what's so funny? Uh, for those of you who may be visiting, or if this is your first time, um, Adair and I are expecting a baby boy on December 6th, it's our first, and there's a new word that I've learned around our house lately, and that word is, is called nesting. Um, now, prior to having someone who's pregnant in the house. The only previous experience I've had with nesting uh, is when the mockingbird built the nest in our little tree in the front yard. She worked so hard on it, and we watched as any time our golden retriever walked near that nest, the mama bird just went nuts at our dog, and our dog was just clueless. Um, but nesting, according to the American Pregnancy Association, nesting is the overwhelming desire to get your home ready for your new baby. And apparently this desire, I didn't know this until recently, this desire within the mother com comes on stronger and stronger the closer she gets to delivery. And y'all, this is ambition and productivity on a scale that I have never experienced. <laughs> uh, it really is. Nesting, if you're curious, nesting includes such things as building a crib, building a new dresser, organizing all the baby clothes, bu building a stroller, organizing the rest of the house, building another stroller, uh, moving the guest room all upstairs, getting rid of some of the husband's clothes, <laughs> relocating portions of the husband's closet, and moving the husband to a very narrow strip of the bed. I say all of that in, in jest, knowing full well how little I am doing in this process and how much my wife is doing. In all seriousness, I'm thankful for the advice and wisdom of our own Josie Exner, who said to me, nesting is serious, just do what she asks. Um, and I think I have for the most part. I don't know, Adair's in the back corner if you need to ask. Um, but at its very core, nesting is simply preparation. 
And we feel like for the whole month of November, we have no idea what the next week could look like, but we're preparing for any possibility, any timing scenario, not knowing when this little guy is going to arrive, just making sure that we're prepared as we can be, because apparently he could come tomorrow. (laughs) And that is shocking. Um, The story Connor read for us a moment ago is a story about not knowing when or how someone will arrive, but being prepared for them nonetheless. There are wise bridesmaids who prepare for any possibility, and there are foolish bridesmaids who journey through the story, obviously unprepared. And in this scenario, the lack of preparation does not end well. Now, I want to pause just to say for a second, just to admit that this story is very weird to me. (laughs) I read it a number of times, and I was like, why is this in here? Um, It is definitely, for a Westerner, it's very different. It's a product of its context and its place in the world. After all, in our context, in 21st century United States, in the South, the idea that a wedding start time would at all be dependent on the groom, (laughs) that's not going to happen. In the U.S., you have months, sometimes years, to prepare for a wedding. And if you were to send out the save the dates, and in the date spot you wrote, whenever the groom feels like it, that would be just wild. And probably the wedding wouldn't happen. Now, to know all that goes into a wedding, and then to say to all invited, be ready to party whenever it could happen anytime, that's hard for us to imagine. That's just not how we do things here, but this story doesn't happen here. Dr. J. Alexander Finley, he, he talks about a time when he went on a trip to Israel, and he was reflecting on this story, because he wrote about experiencing a wedding party in a little Galilean town. He said, as they approached the gates in their car to this little town... Right in front of the car, there were 10 ladies dressed in their best, and they were playing music on an instrument, and they danced down the road in front of the car the entire time. And so Finley says, I asked what they were doing, and our interpreter told me that they were on the way to keep the bride company till the groom arrived. And I asked if there was any chance of seeing the wedding, but he shook his head saying, we don't know when it'll be. (laughs) It could be tonight or tomorrow or in a few weeks, nobody knows for certain. And the the interpreter said the groom comes unexpectedly and sometimes in the middle of the night, but he is required by public opinion uh, to send a man along uh, out into the street to say, behold, the groom is coming, to announce to everybody so they can really get ready. But that, that may happen at any time, so the bridal party has to be ready, prepared to go out into the street at any time to meet him, whenever he chooses. And sometimes, the interpreter said, sometimes they're just asleep and they sleep through the announcement. But then the interpreter closed with this remark. He said, know this, when the bridegroom has arrived and the doors have been shut, latecomers to the ceremony are not to be admitted. So you really have to be prepared because the party could start any time. You have to be willing at a moment's notice to get that wedding invite and go. And if you don't make it, you don't get into the party. The door is going to be shut. And apparently, according to Matthew, if you don't make it, it's as if Jesus doesn't even know you. The door is going to be shut and locked, and because of that lack of preparation, those who are like foolish bridesmaids who didn't bring enough oil and have to run an extra errand, they're going to be left out of the celebration. This is not a happy ending, and it seems pretty harsh. I mean, if Jesus weren't Jesus, I'd say he's a little bit bitter. What is the point of this story? I mean, is this really Jesus? Who told this? (laughs) This doesn't seem like the Jesus I know. What about what he said in chapter 7? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
What am I supposed to think now when I look up at that window in the balcony of Jesus knocking on the door? It's based on Revelation 3.20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. I mean, is he saying these verses need to include a disclaimer? Except when it comes to the foolish, unprepared folks? I mean, what are we supposed to do with that? Of course, if you know what Jesus has been saying in the last few chapters, it makes a little bit more sense. Because I think he might be talking to a specific group of people here. If you go back to chapter 23, you find Jesus getting after the Pharisees in a pretty harsh way. Jesus tells everybody gathered, these Pharisees, they talk a good game, but they don't live it. The way of God is not rooted in their hearts. They're nice and shiny, but on the inside, they're rotten. Instead of, instead of sharing the purpose and the intent of the law, of God's law, they heap rule after rule after rule upon folks, and they offer no help. And then he ups his rhetoric even more. He goes directly after him. He says, you Pharisees, you're frauds. You're hopeless. Your very lives are roadblocks to God's kingdom. You refuse to enter, and you won't let anybody else enter either. Oh, and by the way, Jesus says, nobody knows when the Son of Man will return, but if you only look out for yourself, if you do not truly care for others, then the Son of Man is going to show up when you least expect it, and it won't be pretty. You will be unprepared the way you are operating right now, and you'll end up in the dump with the hypocrites, out in the cold, shivering, teeth chattering. Like I said, it's harsh. Jesus fired up. He's angry. He sees people in power, lording it over everybody else, and he straight up calls them unwise bridesmaids looking for oil, and they're going to get locked out because their lives, their actions, their hearts are unprepared for the party. But wait, you ask, Andrew, what about grace? Isn't grace central to who Jesus is? Why was the door shut? I thought he didn't shut the door on anybody. The great 20th century preacher George Buttrick writes, it is true, grace is free, offered without money and without price, but it is not without response. Each person must receive and appropriate it. Christ cannot forgive, for instance, without our acceptance and trust or without willingness on our part to forgive our neighbors. After all, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. Wesleyan scholar Randy Maddox coined the term, I love this term, responsible grace. And he wrote about how this, this idea that the mission of God in the world is cooperative. We're invited to have a part in the story that God is telling. So yes, to me, what Jesus says in Matthew 7 is true. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door shall be opened. But do you know what Jesus says in the verses right after that? Jesus says, simply saying that Jesus is Lord, it's, it's not going to get you anywhere. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, and then grab the initiative and do it for them. And if you use my words, if you study them, but you don't apply them and you don't follow them, you're like the dumb carpenter who built his house on sand. And the waves came up and the house collapsed. 
It's not too much unlike an unprepared guest at a wedding who ran out of time, who ended up being late, and the door was shut. So, I guess what I'm saying is be prepared. (laughs) Be ready. Stay alert. Live according to Jesus' teaching. Let that teaching take root in your hearts. Care for your hearts and let them follow the path of Jesus that your life and your behavior, your actions might reflect the deep and abiding love Jesus has for you and for everybody. Author Eugene Peterson says it a different way. If you don't know Eugene Peterson, he wrote the message paraphrase of the Bible. Um, if you've read that paraphrase before. And he shares that one of the Greek words that Jesus uses for the word do is the Greek word poeo. And from this Greek word, we get the English word poet. And Peterson says, a poet is a person who takes words and does something with them, who makes something personal and original out of them. Jesus says, essentially, be poets. Make something of these words I've spoken to you. Make a life epic and poetic and make it beautiful. Make it a work of art. That's something we can all do, he says, one well-chosen word at a time, one stanza of service at a time. And with our words and deeds, we can leave something beautiful behind in the lives of others. To me... I like that definition of being prepared. Living your life in such a way as to leave something beautiful behind in the lives of others. When I think of Peterson's definition of being prepared, I think of of this past Wednesday afternoon. We celebrated the life of Claudia Nash. She was a big part of this church. She sat right there. She sang in the Celebration Singers. Many of you who knew Claudia knew that she was so filled with life and with humor, and many of you knew that she was in an accident two weeks ago, and after a week at Grady, she passed away. And I don't think any of us could have seen it coming, ever. It was a shock to all of us. I think that was the the sentiment around everybody. It came quickly and suddenly, and we weren't prepared at all. But Claudia was. Those of you that knew her knew that she had gone through her fair share of loss and grief and pain, and even in the last few years, losing her daughter, and yet she was abundantly joyful. She was so funny, (laughs) and she loved people in a big way. And I remember one day, we just had a memorial service here, and Claudia walked up to me after the memorial service and said, Andrew, you know I'm good to go, right? Not, not everybody comes up to me and says that, just FYI. And she said, I don't, I don't know when I'll go, but you never know. And I just want you to know I'm good. I'm ready. I'm prepared. And I know Claudia was prepared, not just because she told me, but there was something about the way that she lived. Indeed, I think she made something of the words Jesus had spoken to her. I think she lived an epic and poetic life, weaving the story of Jesus in with hers, one well-chosen word at a time, one stanza of service at a time. And with her words and deeds, Claudia left something beautiful behind in the lives of her family, in the lives of her friends, of her congregation, and all over. And I'm certain that Claudia made it to the party. 
because her life was a preparation. She truly lived her life in such a way as to leave something beautiful behind in the lives of others, and I believe that she did. On Thursday night, Adair and I went to our last concert, I'm told, and... uh, and it's a guy named John Mark McMillan. If you've never heard of him, uh, he's a singer-songwriter, and he's really a poet who just puts his words to music. And he has a song called Pilgrim, and it's one of my favorites. And I wanted to, to read you the verse in the chorus. This is how it goes. He says, nobody's ever quite ready, but we all take the ride. Many have died with a promise inside. They never got to see it in their time, but I am a pilgrim here. On this side of the great divide, I am a pilgrim here, and I'll walk with you for a while. Friends, we are all pilgrims here on this side of the great divide. So make your preparations. Be alert. Get to work. Don't be like the Pharisees who pretend. Truly live out an appreciation and gratitude for the love that God has shown you. Live your lives in such a way as to leave something beautiful behind in the lives of others, And by the way, if the feeling of preparation feels stressful and you can't quite figure out what that means for you, give yourself some grace to know that nobody's ever quite ready and still God is there caring for the the hearts of his pilgrims. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, whoever I am, you know me, O God. You know me and you love me. Friends, God knows you, each and every single one of you. You are known and you are loved by God. So let that message take hold and let it lead your life to be a preparation on this side of the great divide. Let us pray. God, we're grateful for saints in our lives who show us what it is to live full lives following you in preparation for that final party, for that final celebration. God, remind us daily, oh God, that you are with us and that we are not alone. And remind us that our preparation starts at knowing that you know us and you love us. So God, help us always to start there. In Jesus' name, amen.